Thank you. Appreciate it, Daniel. Thank you, guys. Thank you for singing. Thank you for what you do. This week, um, I don't know if you read, ever read Oswald Chambers. I was reading through Oswald Chambers this Thursday and going through some, just some stuff that he said. There was a statement at the bottom of it I thought was interesting. I thought I'd read this to you. It said, Christianity is not consistency to conscience or convictions. Christianity is about being true to God. Christianity is not being, con- being not consistency to conscience or convictions. Christianity is being true to get Jesus Christ. What that's saying to us is simply this. It's not about our opinions. It's not about what we think. It's about who he is. That's what this is about. In fact, on that same day, it, it led me to Isaiah 50, and sometime later I'll come back to this. But it, there gives a stark comparison here between the person who's following God, and it's really talking about religious people who conjure up this fire they think is a fire, and it's really not. The fire is not a fire for God. The fire is actually consuming their spiritual lives. See, that's what religion does. When we are consumed by processes and things of that nature, we forget about people, and we don't let those things go, it consumes us. And that's why this year... When I, a couple weeks ago when I initiated this, I wanted us to look at 2017 as a year of being an impactful leader. How do we change other people's lives? Whose lives are you impacting? Because let me say this to you. To be a mentor, to be someone who reaches out to someone else, that means you've got to put your desires and your ways aside in order to do that. It's the truth. You've got to lose yourself and who you are to reach someone else. And that's what's most important. And so I'm, I want to challenge you. Just, just We've talked about it this month, about what that means. And this morning I'm going to talk to you about just what it means to be a, a life-changing leader. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we impact people's lives? How did, did, did Moses impact Joshua's life? You know, What does that look like when we come together and we really look around and we lose ourselves for the impact of touching other people's lives? You know, nobody's asking that we agree on everything. But the higher calling of us is to get out of our comfort zones and to touch other people. To let that be our focus. Let that be who we are and what we are about as his people. That's the calling. Moses could not just look at what he had been through and be bitter over where he had been. He had to look where he was going because he knew one day he would not be going to that promised land and Joshua will be the one taking him in. The same thing's true what I'm going to talk about today. Is, is it simply put, guys, we have to look outside of ourselves of what it is that God really wants for us. It's not about our, our, our conscience or our opinions. It's not even just living good moral lives because that can be focused on the wrong things. It's about giving our lives up and surrendering fully to Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. And this morning I want us to look at a passage we don't look at very often, and that is Daniel chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. We're going to look through verse 30. I know you may not be able to see it completely up there. It's kind of small. But just, just listen as I read along. It says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, 
O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image of which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he spoke to them, saying, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image of which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the image which I made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, to king, said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer to you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to, to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor we worship the gold image of which you have set up. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full, full, was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning fiery furnace. Then these men who were bound in their, in their coats and on their trousers with turbans and their other garments were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace was exceedingly hot, and the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the furnace. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He arose in haste and spoke, saying to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fiery furnace? They answered and said to him, King, true, O king, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the furnace of the fire, and they were not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26, went near the mouth of the fiery furnace, and he spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came near the midst of the fire, and the saltrips and the administrators and governors and the kings and counselors gathered together. They saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power, and the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the king, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel to deliver his servants who trusted in him, and they, were, they, and they frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, and they should not, uh, should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks uh, anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut to pieces, and their houses shall be made into ash heaps, 
because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. Now, what is the story here? Well, in order to understand the story, you really have to go back and look at what Daniel did. We have to look at what Daniel did. We'll come back and get the leadership principles here in just a minute. And what do we learn from this? But the story here is not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It is the context of what took place. If you really look back and you read, Daniel was the one who mentored Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was the one who poured into them. They watched Daniel as Daniel did not give in. You remember when he, when they, he was questioned about what he should eat. And he, to, in order to eat the certain things they were eating in that nation, he would have to go against his own religion to do so. And he says, listen, we're not going to eat what you eat, but here's what we'll do. Give us just a short amount of time, and let's find out if we are healthier by what we eat than what you're eating. And they found out that they were. They never compromised. And then you remember when, when uh, Daniel interpreted the dream. Again, challenged, but he did exactly what God wanted him to do. I can imagine many nights that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sat at the feet of Daniel. And they watched this great man as he faced the fire that was in front of him, the challenges that he would have to go after, and time and time and time again, he poured into their lives exactly what they needed to hear. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar, it was normal in those days for the kings to feel like they were their own God. Most commentators will tell you that the image that he set of himself, the golden image, was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. It was made of total solid gold. I mean, he was a dictatorial leader. He demanded everything to be his way. He was controlling. He was insecure. He was egotistical. He thought he was God. Look what it says. It says, but if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the fiery furnace. And who is the God? Because he thought he was God. Who will deliver you? Look at Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had already said yes because Daniel had taught them how to say yes to God. He had taught them not to bow their knees to the things of the world. They were willing to trust God because they had seen Daniel do the same. Here's my question for you. Don't you want to impact leaders in the same way that Daniel impacted leaders? Do we not want to be influential in the same way? Do we not want to make our lives more than just the, the self-righteous puddles that we live in so often when we're simply just having hurrah days for our own because we only want to fill up our own egos and not surrender ourselves and die to ourselves so that we can touch other people and make them more important than us. It's what it is. It's what it is, guys. The future of this church, the future of your marriage, the future of your relationships, the future of what kind of people we are is determined by how much we're willing to die to ourselves and give ourselves up. I fear too often the fire that we conjure up based upon Isaiah is a fire of religion where we feel good in our activities of religion, but we are not feeling the fire of God that burns in us. Wednesday night, I... I was talking about last Sunday, 
that Oswald Chambers made this. He was talking about that we should all experience what he calls a white funeral. I had, we looked it up and we Googled it because that's what you do. What is a white funeral? And we began to research it out and try to figure out what, what does he mean that we should experience a white funeral. Here's what he means, I think. He's saying that we're all supposed to die to ourselves, And the only way we, in, in the scripture, the idea of the fire burning so hot was to burn the dross off so that that was, was left was pure and honest and it held integrity and it was righteous. And I think what he's saying is that we need to put ourselves in the midst of that fire. And we need to have a white funeral that is a funeral to any dross in our life and let it go off. So what is left is pure righteousness and holiness where we as his people live the way we are supposed to live so others will see Christ in us. I think that's what he's saying. I think that's what he's telling us. Daniel over and over again, just like Moses, poured himself into other people because Daniel realized he was not God. He was not the end. He was simply a small blip on the radar screen of God and the process of glorifying him. And a part of his job was not to think of his needs. It was to give himself up and pour in others so that they could understand what it meant to follow God. So what does it mean for us to be a strong leader? Well, first of all, life-changing leaders. Number one, life-changing leaders are consistent in their daily lives. They're consistent in their daily lives. I have a friend of mine who wrote a book several years ago. His name's Steve Shogren. He writes in the book about three kinds of people. He says every one of us are either a shark, a carp, or a guppy. He says that's what we are, a shark, a carp, you know, or a dolphin. I'm sorry, sharp, uh, a carp or a dolphin. He says so many of us, are, we just kind of hang around the bottom and just, we just kind of, in our religious, Christian lives, and just kind of wait till things come to us and then we react. Some of us are like sharks. We're always going at it, trying to prove our way or to eat people up. He said what's interesting is, is that dolphins don't have natural predators. Dolphins are both wise and they understand and they swim in the middle of danger, but they make it. They're brilliant creatures. He said, we should be like the dolphins. We should stop eating each other up. We should stop being lazy in our Christian walk. We should stop laying on the bottom and just waiting for whatever falls our way. We should stop accepting the base minimum for what it means to follow Jesus. Bottom line is, we have to be consistent in our daily lives. I mean, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were challenged. They were, they, they were faced with death. But yet, what did they do? They didn't compromise with their friends. They didn't compromise with the people around. Even though the whole nation was looking at them, they were leaders. They were turned in. Other people turned them in. And, and, you know, and, and, it just, and look what happened. They stayed consistent in their daily lives. Consistent to what? Consistent to their conscience? No. Consistent to their convictions? No. Consistent to God, because our only true convictions and conscience comes from God, not from us. We live in a world that sets a standard that's based upon my opinion being as important as, as everybody else's, as if, as if my truth is as important as God's truth. Listen, God's truth trumps all of our truth, because it's, it's God's truth that we need to be living by. We need to face our own issues. We need to be consistent in our walk. Come on, guys. How many of you have ever had someone who says, I'll never step a foot in a church again because I've had too many Christians just, uh, you know, treat me certain ways? We've seen that, haven't we? 
I've been in ministry 35 years. In those 35 years, guys, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I will welcome a lost person almost any time because the meanest people I've ever met have been wearing dresses and suits and ties on Sunday morning. It's just the truth. And the sad part about it is what we need to be doing is we need to be consistent in our walk and humbly looking for opportunities to love and to care for our communities and who we are. We, we seem to forget that when we come to Christ, we give up our rights. The only rights we have are what He gives us. The consistency of our lives is what people see in everything we do, and that's what brings, the, brings Christ out. That's what shines the light through us. It's a privilege to be His child. Number one, we need to be consistent in our Christian life. Number two, life-changing leaders are consumed by God's manifest presence. Life-changing leaders are consumed by God's manifest presence. I mean, think about it. Moses was consumed. Joshua was consumed. Elijah was consumed. David, a man after God's own heart. Peter, Paul, we should be consumed as well. I found this little piece a while back, and I thought I would read it to you because I thought it was kind of interesting talking about Charles Finney. It says, Charles Finney was a lawyer who was dramatically converted to Christianity and immediately began to preach in small towns in upstate New York. They say that when Finney entered a town, the presence of God was so thick that people either repented or died. Finney and his associates spent hours fervently begging God for powerful manifestations of his presence. On one occasion, he'd been holding a revival in a little place in in New York Mills, One morning, he was asked to tour a large cotton mill in town. As he walked into the mill, the presence of God became so thick that God began to convict the people there immediately. He entered a large room where the young women working in the looms were laughing and joking. Soon the room grew still. One of the girls looked into his eyes and began to tremble. Her finger began to shake, and and she broke her thread. One record stated she was quiet overcome and sank down and burst into tears. The impression caught like powder, and in the few moments, all the room was in tears. The feeling spread through the factory. Another biographer noted that the owner heard the equipment stopping and came to see what was going on. When he saw that the whole room was in tears, he told the superintendent to stop the mill, for it was more important for souls to be saved than for the mill to run. Upon that point, Finney had not said a word. The workers assembled in a large room, and in a few days, almost all the employees of the mill were saved. Charles Finney did not have to say a thing. God's presence was so powerful on his life that a mill full of workers repented without him saying a word. Life-changing leaders are consistent in their daily walk. Life-changing leaders are consumed by God's manifest presence. Number three, Life-changing leaders are conscience, conscious of God's power, but never presumptuous of his will. Listen to that. They're conscious of God's power, but never presumptuous of his will. What happened? They pulled Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up there, and they're right before King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to give you a chance to do this. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? They said, oh, king, should we follow God or should we follow man? I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing this here for you. As for us, we're going to follow God. You know why? Because even if God chooses not to save us, even if God chooses to let us get burned up there, that is God's desire, not our desire. We're going to follow God whatever it takes. There's no politics, there's no, no rationalization, 
There's simply a conviction to say, oh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, this is not right. You can throw us in whatever fire you want to. We trust God, whatever he wants to do, that's what it is. We cannot be presumptuous of God's will. We have to do what? We have to be conscious completely, totally of God's power. That if God chooses, he can deliver us. If he don't and he takes us home, that's his desire. If it's for his glory, that's whatever it is. Paul said the same thing. Paul said to live as Christ and to die as what? Do we get the message here? If we're going to influence other people, we can only replicate what we are. We need to get over myself. And I'm talking straight to me. It needs to be about him, not about anything else we see except him. That's it, totally, completely about him. We need to be consistent in our daily walk. We need to to be consumed by God's manifest presence. We need to be conscious of God's power, but never presumptuous of his will, as if somehow we can tell God what to do. Number four, life-changing leaders are courageous. They're always people of great faith. What does the Bible say? The Bible says God loose them up. God frees us in the fire. Listen to me. If you're not experiencing the fire, you're probably not leading. Welcome the fire. May God bring the fire down in through us. And as we face the fire ahead, and we will if we stand up for God, may we stand up and let God deflect the fire from us because he is our only help, he is our only strength, and he is our only way. We need to trust him. Life-changing leaders are courageous. We need courageous people to stand up in our culture. We need courageous people to stand up and do the right thing in those moments. Guys, we need, we need our, our, our churches to stop worrying so much about the function and start worrying about the, everything else that happens through it, what it means to touch people's lives. This is a birthing room. It is not a trauma unit. Last week when we saw Junior baptized, that should be a normal thing that happens in our church. That should be what this is about. It's about reaching people in our community. It's about a body of believers coming together, putting their spirits and their hearts and their desires together as one and letting God say, this is the direction we're going. This is what we are. Life-changing leaders make differences in people's lives. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up for God, and right in the middle of the fire, what did the Bible say? In the middle of the fire, that says there was another one there. Who was he? That was Jesus Christ himself, manifest in that fire. Who was with him? As God has promised us, he will always be with us in the middle of our fire. And what did they do? They brought them out. They didn't even smell the smoke. Their hair hadn't even been singed. And what happened? They couldn't believe it. If you want to reach People, we stand up for God in the middle of the fire. And as we face the fire, what will happen? God will exalt himself through it. First Peter 5 verse 3 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. In due time, he will exalt us. He will use us for his glory. That's what he wants to do. He frees us up. And finally, ultimately, life-changing leaders live. Life-changing leaders change lives and often start spiritual movements. What does verse 28 says? It says, And they yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their own God. What was the result of what took place? What was the result? 
What was the result of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Nebuchadnezzar lifted them up in the government. He gave them a greater place so they could have greater influence. Nebuchadnezzar himself had to admit, my God is not as great as your God because my God cannot save you from the fire. My God. Because we need people to stand up in our culture today and say we will face the fire, whatever it is, and then we need to let the fire of God burn through us. And if we, all of us, I turned 56 years old yesterday, and thank you for all of you who sent me little notes and things like that. I appreciate that very much. But I'm going to tell you something. I'll be honest with you. The last couple weeks have been some really, really difficult weeks. And a big part of it is I've been laying on my face so much more than I have in a long time. And the and biggest part of it is I don't know what God has ahead. I just know that I don't want to waste a moment doing it. I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't know about you guys, but, but man, I want to see lives changed. I want to see a movement in our high school here locally, in our elementary schools. I want to see a movement among our parents and our community. I want to see a movement among our church here I want to see a movement among our land. I want to see our marriages strengthened and our families pour together even more. I want to see this happen. And it happens when we grab hold and look at everything else out except for the total focus upon Jesus himself. We're so distracted so often. And by the way, you'll never know what kind of influence you might have in someone else's life. Even the smallest of things, you might think. In my office, I should have brought it with me today. I have a 50-cent piece. And it's in, a little, it's in a little thing I put there in a little uh, frame several years ago. And I put it in my, I got a little cabinet in my office at work. And, and it's always there to remind me. It was given to me when I was 10 years old. I was chosen as one of four captains for our championship football team. We lost, by the way, which wasn't real fun, but we lost. But I was chosen as a captain for one of our championship football team. We walked out in the middle of the field, and the, the uh, referee, his name was Siachi. Siachi was a Greek guy. He passed away several years ago. And Siachi was about five foot five, had a loud voice like Sergeant Carter on Gomer Pyle. I mean, he could just, just yell it out, and you could hear him forever and ever and ever. And Siachi would, but here's what he would do is when, when you'd have a good play, he'd help pick you up and Pat you on the backside and tell you how great you were doing. He would he'd put his arm after the game is over. He'd always encourage you and do this. And I remember this day in particular because this man, who didn't even hardly even know me, but had been an influence on me, he flipped that coin that day, and he used a 50-cent piece. And when he was done, he, he pulled out of his pocket eight 50-cent pieces and gave all eight of us guys who were captains that day a 50-cent piece. I put that in my office because it reminds me every day, it's the last thing I see before I go to class, that maybe the smallest moment I spend might have the greatest impact on the life of one of my students or someone else. And that's what this is all about. Daniel spent time with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego took it even greater than Daniel could even take it because they had been men who had already been preconditioned, being led to the place to stand up for the right things. Guys, the future of who we will be is based upon the influence we will exert and the time we will spend with the generations after us 
and the people whose lives we will touch around us. Because that's what this is all about. It's influencing others. It's loving them. It's taking our eyes off of everything else that, that, that we call church and putting it on the most important thing, Jesus Christ and the people he influences. That's what it's about. We're always going to, to, to face issues. But guys, the problem with the church is that we have self-destructed. We've self-consumed ourselves over the years. We've let ourselves become so important that we actually think it matters, and it doesn't. What matters is you. What matters is taking young people and help them know Christ and pour it into lives where they can make a difference so the generations after us. What matters is pouring ourselves out as a drink offering so that others can feed. What matters is sacrifice and dying to ourselves so that people's lives can be changed. What matters is for us as a church to see our future. That's what it is. That's what God's called us to be. Guys, it's not about styles of worship and music and all that kind of thing. It's not about any of that. It's about the word of God. It's about pouring into generations. It's about passing this baton of our faith. It's about doing that. That's what this is about. It's about the fire that consumes us inside that has to come out on the outside. And it's the warmth of that fire that changes other people's lives because we have a world that is freezing. They're living in darkness. They need the warmth of that fire and the light of our lives to help them, point them in the directions where they need to be so their lives can be changed too. It's about giving ourselves up. That's what leadership is. Leadership is not looking to the leader. Leadership is developing other leaders. I challenge us, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, that we impact other people's lives more important than anything else this year. That we stop for a moment and we ask ourselves, at the end of this year, what do I really want to happen for Christ? What do I want to happen this next week, this next day, this next month? Whose lives do I really want to see changed? Who would I love to impact? Remember the first thing I talked about in the first part of the, I talked about you know, Joshua and, and Moses. I told you about my father and the impact my dad had on me. And the people's lives that he impacted through the years. I challenge us. The Bible says when a man gives his life away, he'll gain it. When you give up your life, you'll be giving it back. When we die to ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, that's what this is all about. I've been with you guys now about seven months. I've prayed in the depth of my soul and wept for this body that God would take this church and he would break our hearts for what breaks his that he would take us and make us and remake us in his image and that our focus would be completely on him in lives that need to be changed. Some of those lives are sitting in this church today and you're hurting and you can't tell anybody else. But you need to know that we love you. You need to know that we care. And my 
prayer for us is that we would be like Daniel. We would see the value in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those people in our lives that we too can influence. Will you pray with me? I'm going to ask us to get ready for our invitation. And this morning, I would ask us to be completely, totally for a moment, just put everything else aside. And right now, just, just tell God, say, God, take my life. Take everything I have and use it for your glory. God, let me be an influencer. Let me see the people around us who need to be touched. Help me, Father, to focus upon that which brings eternal fruit. God, help me this 2017 to be the man or woman I've, I've always wanted to be. But maybe I've not been willing to Step out far enough. Maybe it's time we just surrender. Because God's going to give this church a pastor probably soon. I hope so. But that's not going to answer the biggest question we have as a church. The biggest question we have as a church is who? Who are we going to be? How's God calling us out? A pastor can come and lead, but he can't make us change. He can't make us surrender. Only Christ can do that. So right now, sitting right where you are, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you die right now and you know that you wouldn't go to heaven because you've never fully just yielded your life to Christ, why don't you just surrender your life to him right now and just tell him, say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you and I ask you, invite you to come into my life. I yield my life to you. For the rest of us as Christians, why don't we say to God right now, God, take the rest of me. The rest of my life, the rest of my health, the rest of my being, the rest of everything I have. And lay it on the altar for you, God. Why don't we yield up like that? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch each one of us. I pray, God, that you would draw us to yourself and that you will be glorified in what we do. Father, I thank you for Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. I love this church. I love these people. And God, I pray, as, as you laid on my heart a couple months ago to, to really begin to talk about what it means to be that influencer, that leader, that we would be Daniel, we would be Moses. We would be those leaders who touch lives would be like Peter and John and those at Pentecost who you transformed and began to take the word into the world. That we would go house to house. That we would be compelled 
Lord, in the depth of our soul to burn with just a white hot fire within us and shine a bright light in the darkness all across our community. Help us to be that kind of people. Touch us, Jesus. Put us face to face with you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And this morning, Father, if there's anyone who needs to respond, I pray they will. In Jesus' name we pray.